Hey there, and welcome to Dirt Rich, seasonal conversations about food and farming. I'm Jared Lumen, the Soil Health Lead for the Sustainable Farming Association, and today we've got Chad Crowley on to talk about his unique story of getting into farming and the grazing-based dairy farm that he operates in southeast Minnesota. Chad, thanks so much for joining me, and welcome to the Dirt Rich Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to, and and maybe just to get us started for the listeners, uh, introduce yourself and a little bit about your farm and, and kind of what you're doing. Uh, as Jared mentioned, my name is Chad Crowley, and um, I farm with my wife, Melissa, and also Art and Jean Tickey down here in Southeast Minnesota. Uh, we're located just outside of La Crescent, Minnesota. Uh, we are a about a 550-acre organic dairy farm, uh, milking Ayrshire cattle. Uh, out of that 550 acres, about half is grazable, and less than that is what would be considered tillable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's something about that southeast Minnesota area that always surprises me every time I get down there is how much of the ground is actually wooded and pretty steep and rough and uh, yeah like almost i don't know if you can can you even find a farm in your area where you can find like a full quarter section in straight tillable acres <laughs> doesn't seem very common if you do no no not really i mean you'll get a couple acre fields here you might get a 30 acre field um <laughs> maybe a 40 but then you're going to run into like you said hills trees <laughs> um severe drop-offs uh cliffs so (laughs) yeah 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 maybe makes for a good good reason to be in the grazing business there it's not as conducive to large commodity crop agriculture um but uh but i know you kind of have a unique story of how you got into that it's not necessarily a family farm and i'm not sure if you come from a family farm so maybe talk about your history a little bit uh if you do come from agriculture and and then how you got onto the farm where you are today sure um no i did not actually come from a farming background i was born in wisconsin uh, and then uh my family actually moved to nebraska so i was raised um, in Nebraska, but more of a uh, urban, not rural setting. However, in high school, most of my friends were uh, rural um, friends and had farms. And um, so I kind of got introduced into that. However, at about age six or seven, uh, I did have my first interaction with dairy cattle um, I went to a farm of my mom's best friend and um, really liked the cows at that time, but didn't think I would pursue being a dairy farmer. Um, so I went to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln for two years and then decided that that school was a little large for me. And I transferred to the University of Wisconsin-River Falls. Uh, where I met my wife, Melissa, who does come from a dairy grazing uh, background um, over by Ridgeway, Minnesota. Uh, that's where her family farm is now. And her and I decided that we both wanted to farm and um, didn't know we were going to do the whole grazing thing, to be honest, until we met uh, Art and Jean in 2003 
we were at another dairy up in uh, Goodhue, Minnesota, <laughs> and um, it just wasn't the the fit for us. It was not what we wanted. We didn't see ourselves doing it for the rest of our lives. Um, unfortunately, Art was farming with his nephew, Dan, and uh, Dan and Wendy um, had a motorcycle accident and died. And my father-in-law, uh, Mike Gillis at the time, called us and said, hey, you might want to contact Art and Gene. They're needing some help. And one thing led to another. We came down Labor Day weekend uh, that year in September. And on September 14th of 2003, we started um, working here. We weren't farming. We were employees. And the rest, I guess, is uh, 19 years going on 20 years later. We're still here. Yeah. Wow. What was the the farm you were at up here in Goodhue? Uh, kind of a small world. Yeah, you were working just a few miles down the road from where I'm at now uh, and then moved further away. But that farm, was that a grazing? It sounded like it maybe wasn't. And what was your initial thoughts when you kind of got onto that farm and it was like a totally different production model or a, a grazing base? Yeah, it was a uh, it was a wonderful farm. Um, the owner and dairy farmer was an excellent cattleman. I mean, I learned a lot from him. Um, however, it was a high production. Um, at that time, it was the number one herd in the state of Minnesota for production at about 31,000 pounds. And that was back in 2002. So it, that was high at that time. Yeah. Um, it, it just, the the stress level, the... Uh, I don't want to say the way the animals were treated, but that they were in the barn and and had limited access to outside and stuff was just not what uh, Melissa and myself really wanted um, for our lifestyle. Yeah. And so you got home and I kind of, I guess, moved on from that you know, conversation with art and stuff there too. You've been there 20 years and I guess to start you were an employee, but I know over the, over the 20 years, that's kind of changed. Do you want to talk a little bit about that transition or as much as you're interested in? I just know that uh, it's been pretty cool to get involved, more involved with this kind of sustainable regenerative agriculture field, because in, in more commodity based conventional agriculture, I can't think of a single person that I know who has um, worked as intentionally with you know, people, especially non-family heirs to get them started in agriculture. But once I got involved in this kind of regenerative side of agriculture, it's more and more common. I can think of half a dozen people off the top of my head who have intentionally worked with somebody non-family to get them into agriculture, to see their land managed long-term. And so the fact that you are kind of on the I've I've had Jerry Ford on, who's in, you know one of the landowners working with an heir, uh, and, and you're kind of on the other end. I'd be curious to hear your perspective on on how that kind of farm transition, you know, has gone. Sure. Um, so, like I said, in 2003, um, we contacted Art and Gene, came for an interview. Um, they were also interviewing several other. Uh, candidates and and couples and stuff and Mm -hmm. the main reason and they have said this for the whole duration we've been here the main reason they chose my wife melissa and myself we both wanted to farm Mm -hmm. 
Sure. We both wanted to be on the farm, active, um, and do the day-to-day. A uh, few of the other um, people they had looked at, the husband wanted to farm, but the wife didn't. And um, Art and Jean have been one. Jean did have a job in town for a while, but she actually quit that job many, many years ago and was a vital part of the farm for many years here, feeding calves, getting the barn ready during haying season and stuff like that. So that's kind of what they were looking for was uh, a couple that would come in and work together. So like I said, we were hired just as employees at first. Uh, We got paid a salary Um, at the time. The farm is comprised of actually two farms um so there's a house on both farms so we were fortunate enough uh as part of our salary to uh get a house so that Mm. really made um the decision to come here a lot easier uh the two farms were about eh, about two miles apart um but they're both at dead end roads so it's really convenient um so for the first two years, we worked for Art and Jean, got a salary, um, got the, the house and stuff like that. And then after the first two years, Art was nice enough to give myself and my wife a calf. And that way we could start building equity into the farm. Or at least even if we didn't stay here we would have animals to take with us or equity to take with us to go somewhere else if it didn't work out. Sure. Um, So that happened for, I think, three, four years. Um, And then they started giving us two uh, calves um, to help build up equity. The other thing they really wanted, because my wife and I both had student debt. Mm. Um, they really wanted us to get our student debt paid off before they would look at bringing us in as partners. Um, so at the 12 year mark of being here with them, they approached us and asked us if this is where we want to call home, want to be here. Um, and we said, yes. And at that point, um, they sold us on on deed hmm. our farm, um, and we put money down on it. And at that particular time, too, our gave I mean more or less gave us half the herd and hmm. said, "Okay, you know, you own half now. The other half is mine. We share all the ex- we, we share most of the expenses um, when it comes to repairs, feed." trucking, whatever it might be. Uh, we try to do 50, 50 on that. So I would love to say that the transition went smoothly. Um, but that would not be realistic. Um, and I don't like mean it like, uh, it, the paperwork or anything like that. Uh, when you work with somebody every day, day in and day out, And after this long of a time, since Art and Jean do not have children of their own, my wife and I pretty much became their kids. And so anybody that has worked with their parents or vice versa, children, 
that are taking over a farm from parents know that not every day is roses and um, not every day is everybody's opinion is all on the same page and everything. But because of our personalities and having a lot in common and wanting to not change the farm, I think that was probably one of the biggest things that really helped our situation. We saw the way that Art and Gene had the farm set up, how simple it is, how the model works. And Melissa and I didn't want to change that. You know, we didn't come in. We didn't want to put in corn. We didn't want to put in a parlor. We didn't want to push for more production. And I think because of that, it really helped our transition and really helped both parties like, yep, you know, Art and Gene, they want to be here. They're on our mindset. And for us too, um, you know, we saw that Art and Gene really did want us here and want to work with us. Yeah. Well, that's super cool. And I appreciate the honesty there too, because I, I think that's very understandable, even in family, you know, I mean, maybe especially in family, but you know, even in family relationships, transition's not always easy. We're trying to figure out it with figure it out with our farm here and stuff too. There's complications and struggles and things, but you know, I appreciate you being honest and sharing about that. Um, I'm curious from you and Melissa's standpoint early on, I think you mentioned it was 12 years before they really started to maybe before they came to you with the opportunity to, you know, be a part of it. And for a lot of families and, you know, a lot of farm transitions, even in family, there can be a lot of struggles with early on, not knowing, you know, not having a plan, not having a specific transition plan, you know, just working for a certain amount of time with a hope that you'll be taken care of. Was there promises made? Were there conversations had around someday a transition or were you comfortable just working? I guess, how did that, was that a struggle for the short term in in those, those first few years? Um, I would think in the first, probably three, four, up to maybe five, just being an employee was fine. Sure. Um, uh, at least for myself, I can't speak for my wife, but you know, after five years and, and showing that, you know, we wanted to be here and, and put in the sweat equity and stuff. Um, for me personally, yes, there were times when I went, well, you know, why isn't, why aren't they talking more to us about, you know, transition or, or making decisions too? you know, at that point it was still, they've always kind of asked us what we thought and wanted our opinions, but up till we really were partners that the, the majority of the decisions were made by Art and Gene, you know, because they were the owners of the farm and wanted to do what was best for the farm, for them and for us. So at times, yes, I, I did struggle. Um, you know, I would see friends who were farming or farming on their own, I should say, and get to make decisions if it was right or wrong, if it cost them money or whatever. Um, so. It, it was a little hard for me. Then I got over that hump. And then uh, it was probably at about the seven year mark or so. Uh, a neighbor actually 
we were talking with the neighbor and then the neighbor kind of said, Oh, he had been talking to art and boy, you guys sure have it made, you know, they don't have kids and they're thinking you're going to take over and they really like you and all this and that. And it was like, Oh, okay. So hearing it from another source Mm -hmm. was like, Oh, they are thinking about it, you know? And then, um, it came to the point where, like I said, uh, we did talk financials and we've always been very open and honest, uh, with art and gene and and vice versa, pretty much after about the first couple years, we got to sit in on the financials. We went into the tax meetings, um, planning, you know, they, they were very open and honest because I think that's very important too. You have to understand what's coming in, what's going out, what they're paying, what you're living on. Um, so that if you do, uh, become partners or take over the farm, you understand where, uh, this stuff's coming from or why they were doing what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so then the, then the conversation came up, you know, like I said, they, they pretty much flat out asked us, do we want to call this home? Do we consider this home? And Melissa and I both said, yes, this is where we see ourselves living for the rest of our lives, farming, and we don't have any student debt. We don't have any debt whatsoever. We've been saving money. Mm -hmm. And so then the next topic was they went to a lawyer and got paperwork drawn up and Mm -hmm. asked us to become partners with them and gave us a 20-year deed on our farm, which worked out for, for both parties. Hmm. Yeah. No, that's, that's super cool. And, and just kind of a, yeah, neat, uh, and neat how it, it worked out. I know, like you say, there's a lot of families that work for, uh, that the younger generation might work for years or even decades with, you know, hopes and promises of a transition and, and them never being fulfilled. And it's cool to hear that that was able to work out for you guys. Um, in, in a, in a fair and reasonable period of time. And also I liked his intentionality of, you know, encouraging you to get out of debt, maybe realizing that agriculture is a highly capital intensive business and and is going to require, you know, some capital. And so the encouragement from him to do that sounds like that was intentional. Yes, I I think it was. And and I do know for a fact that at at one point years ago, our, um, our, the, the farm where we actually milk the cows is the farm that Art grew up on. Mm-hmm. And his dad actually purchased that farm, farm there his whole life. Art has farmed there his entire life. So it, it I mean, also to bring in non-family, um, mm-hmm. even though they don't have kids, uh, he comes from a family of, was it seven um, you know, so there, there's still ownership. He farmed with two other brothers for several years. Um, and then, uh, Francis Tickey, who's down in Iowa, uh, who also grazes. And then another brother that lives not too far from here. Um, and they broke up or they dissolved their partnership. And then that's when his nephew, Dan came in and, because of that, uh, Art had uh, unfortunately uh, accrued in a, a large debt. And so he knew what debt does. And 
you know, paying it off and, and by having no debt or very low debt, you can actually afford a lot more things. That's uh that's pretty cool. Are there any tips or tricks that you learned that might be valuable, like from either side, either from the younger person uh, who might be working into a farm family or non-family that you would recommend them, you know, think about or do. And then, you know, if there's anything that you having kind of from witnessing, you know, the, the senior generation, anything you would recommend to them working on some sort of a transition. Um, I, to, to me personally, the, the biggest thing would be communication. Um, you aren't always going to agree. You're not always going to be on the same page. Um, but if both parties can listen to each other and have an open mind, and I know that's tough. I mean, we say that, you know, or at least, uh, you know, the older generation, well, they're set in their ways and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I know you had asked me, you know, how did I feel earlier in the transition? And some of the things we did, I'm just like, well, why are we doing that? You know, I mean, we should do this instead, or we should do that, you know? And then when I would bring it up, I find out that Art tried that, or they did that for a while, and it didn't work, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's not necessarily because it was my idea that he was shooting it down. It was because we already tried that 10 years ago before you got here. And it didn't work mm -hmm. and, or, you know, this, this way or whatever. So, but I also would say that to the older generation, keep in mind that not every young person doesn't know anything that mm -hmm. they may have experiences in their life um, that will bring knowledge to the table also. Yeah. And by having that open mind and going, you know, the communication, talking it out and stuff. I think that helps in the transition period. I also think being on the same mindset, um, like I said, we didn't come in here trying to change everything mm -hmm. versus other transitions that I have heard and stuff where they come into a farm and right away they want to change everything or change a lot of things. Sure. And we've changed stuff over the years. Don't, I mean, we're not like doing the exact same thing for everything. Mm -hmm. It's been a slow process. Um, but the major things that work on the farm, we haven't changed. Sure. So I, I really patience and that's not easy, mm -hmm. you know, like you were saying, kind of like the younger generation or, or even middle-aged generation that are getting into farming now, you know, mm -hmm. um, patience on both sides and if it's meant to be it'll work out yeah nope i like that i think that makes a lot of sense um i guess getting back into the actual farming production side then i i we, i asked you a little bit already about the the differences in in your production model and and where you are now um i guess i'm curious what your thoughts were at first when you came here were, were you, you you talked about you didn't come in you know, pushing to change everything. But at first, did you kind of bring, were there some thoughts that you thought of from your previous experience and more of a commodity or a conventional high production, high input type dairy that you tried to implement any specifics that, you know, thoughts, thoughts you had that you found either, you know, through art 
sharing with you or, or through experience didn't work or, or were you pretty much all in when you kind of learned and experienced the grazing low input model? Um, I would say both. I, and I, I can address that. Um, yeah. In the, in the aspect of coming from a high production um, where you're pushing a lot of feed, you're pushing a lot of forage, you're pushing um, other inputs would be the best way to say it, to the mm -hmm. cows to get it to come out the other end there. Um, so yes, you know, asking, well, why aren't we doing corn silage or why aren't we doing haylage or why, you know, um, we don't have any silos on the farm. Uh, we don't grow any corn on the farm. Everything is grass-based. Everything has cover on it. Um, we buy all our grain. And when I, when I say we buy all our grain, we work with a local cooperative that carries organic grain. We call them up, tell them we need seven ton. That's usually what the seven and a half ton. That's usually what the load is. They grind it, add the minerals that we want, bring it out. And that, and all the animals get that particular grain mix. It's not like we're feeding this group and then this group and then the close-ups and then, mm -hmm. you know, the high production cows, uh, sure. simplicity, I, I guess. Sure. Um, and at first that was a hard concept because of coming from where we did, mm -hmm. where the higher production animals, they did get more protein. They did get more feed. Um, we were doing corn silage, haylage, oatlage, stuff like that. Um, however, on the flip side, because I had experienced some grazing, because I had the opportunity when I, after I graduated from college in 2000 to work for my in-laws for a year and a half, almost two years on a grazing farm and learn kind of how they grazed and stuff before we went to the high intensity farm. I had an idea of what grazing was. Mm -hmm. And so I realized why Art was doing what he was doing and the low inputs and seeing that it did work. Um, However, over the years, one of the things we have changed when you talk about changing in, in production is we do now buy baleage and feed baleage, um, which is, you know, a, a good source of energy and a good feed source. So little changes over time to, mm -hmm. to try and and we've seen positive responses from it so that's why it worked yeah well the idea of simplicity is interesting to me and like because well i'm just thinking right now off the top of my head well you probably first step would be like well let's start feeding more you know high quality feeds or something and, and then you're like so now you've got the job of you've got to go out and get some more infrastructure to raise it you know you got to get at the tractor and the planter to produce it and then you got to get the um, you know, harvest equipment. So you've already added a couple jobs and then you add the, and, and individually they each might seem like they pay for each other, but then you've got to get a TMR mixer. Now you got that much more chores. And by the end of the day, now you need to hire a whole nother person to get done all the extra work you just hired and all the profit you made from increased production is completely sucked up by whatever, you know, 
you know, labor you went into it. And I think in our system here, we, we've always been a grazing farm and we happen to have this year, eight animals that, uh, we're not quite we, this spring. We, we, they didn't, they were our open heifers last year and we thought they're not going to be able to grass finish this summer. So let's just feed them on grain. The market's really good for grain right now. And we'll sell them at the, in the sales barn or whatever, you know, so we can, rather than getting hammered at selling this little offload of calves at the, you know, it's a commodity thing, we'll, we'll finish them out. And now we're spending half an hour a day feeding them some grain. And, and then one of them got sick and, and all of a sudden all our profits are gone anyway. And we ended up doing all this extra hassle for the idea of saving a few bucks or making a few more bucks. And sometimes just keeping things simple, limiting overhead, infrastructure, labor, you know, it so to me seems so intriguing. And that's what I love about the, what it sounds like your guys's dairy model is, is, you know, just super low input, low overhead, low labor. It, and it is. And, and that's the nice thing about it is, um, we, you know, we don't, we don't hire outside help, mm-hmm. uh, besides my children and, and they're on the farm already. And, um, you know, we did give them the option. Uh, my, my oldest son is away in college, but when he turned 16, I did give him the option. You can get a job in town mm-hmm. or you can work for me. Mm-hmm. He decided he would rather work milk cows for me and drive tractor and have more flexibility because, um, you know, if he wanted to go do something, you know, as long as he gave me a day's notice or something, I, I most of the time said, sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, same thing with my daughter, my middle daughter, Jessica, Mm -hmm. she milks for us right now and works for us. And we did the same thing when she turned 16 this year, Mm -hmm. do you want to work for me or go to town? Mm -hmm. And Again, we told her, you know, if you go work in town, you're not going to have the flexibility and stuff. So she decided that she wanted to work for us. And so I do have labor or hired help. However, once all three of my children are out of the house, the nice thing about this model and this setup is it, even if Art um, backs off, mm-hmm. um, which over the last well, since we've been here, um, Art has started backing off, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't milk evenings as much um, and hardly any anymore, but he milks every morning mm-hmm. and then helps with hay, manure hauling, um, and whatever else needs to be done. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the chores and the farming and stuff is left to my wife and I moving fences, taking care of animals, um, fencing and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And it can be done with just two people. That's the nice thing about it. And, and I agree with your sentiment there that, you know, without a TMR, I'm not spending an hour a day mixing it. I don't Mm -hmm. have bags. I got to go get, I'm not putting extra, uh, wear and tear on my, my machinery. So it's not wearing out faster. Mm -hmm. Um, there, there's a lot of advantages I personally feel with this system and model, the one thing that was hard to get used to and still is to some extent is you may not make the money that you would if you upped your production a little bit, Mm -hmm. but because you are lower input, you still have an income. 
I mean, by no means am I living at the poverty level. I mm-hmm. have a very nice life and lifestyle and can afford to do the things that we want to do as a family and as a farm. Yeah. Yeah. And when you say income, are you talking net profit? The profit level isn't quite as high or, or gross, gross dollars or? I would say gross, yeah. um, you, you know, uh, and and because we're not putting out that two million pounds of milk or, mm-hmm. or two and a half million pounds and stuff like that. Um, yes, you know, maybe some people are capitalizing a little bit more or catching a few more dollars, but to mm-hmm. do it, you know, they're spending a lot more time in machinery or spending more time fixing machinery, buying machinery and Mm -hmm. different things like that, where we don't have that. Our machinery is our cows. I mean, Mm -hmm. that that's our main machinery. Yes. We spread manure and make hay and we have haying equipment and manure spreading equipment. Mm -hmm. Um, But the cows are what does most of the work on the farm. Yeah. 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 I think it's, it's, just so counterintuitive to you know think about doing less and making more money but when you start yeah adding in labor adding in breakdowns fuel you know just the actual cost of the equipment itself you know it it, it can you got to get a lot of production out of it to pay for what you have to put into it so i I like that i like the model um it's a real intriguing um, I'm, I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about your, your actual grazing and dairy management then, I guess, how much infrastructure do you have? Would you recommend if you were starting from scratch, you know, based on your experience, what would you recommend a person getting into grazing dairy be as far as like fence and lane and water infrastructure? Sure. Uh, as I mentioned, our farm is yeah, about 550 acres between the two of them. Um, and, and then we have some rented land that we also um, have on top of that. Um, and then uh, about half of that is grazing. Um, and then less than that would be, like I said earlier, what people would consider uh, tillable. Um Equipment, we just have tractors. Our biggest tractor is 115 horsepower. So it's not like we have 300 horsepower tractors. Um, uh, we have a skid loader. Uh, we have haying equipment and manure handling equipment. We also have a Truex uh, no-till drill that we use in the spring um, because we outwinter our cattle. And that's how we actually do our renovations on the farm. We'll pick a pad or we'll pick um, several acres and set bales out for winter. And that's where we uh, winter the dry cows and and the herd and the milking herd that we have during the winter. And then come spring, we will go in with the no till drill and introduce seed into that. for the infrastructure itself, we have a 56 cow stanchion barn. We have a cut, we have two open face sheds with a cow yard. Um, and then we have a couple multi purpose sheds that we can put uh, calves in in spring. Uh, and then this time of year, we have hay storage in there or equipment storage. Um, one of the other sheds we have our 
replacement bulls in right now. So um, it's actually very minimal um, infrastructure, really. Um, the most important one is the barn, and we maintain it. We're trying to fix things as they break, uh, mm -hmm. put new poles in, uh, different things like that. Um, so the farm itself has uh, 49 paddocks okay. on the on the home farm. And they're, they're one to two. Most of them are one to two acres. However, as we talked about, changing stuff and, and learning as you go. Some of them we have uh, made a little bigger because it, we found it was easier to graze them. If they were larger, you can do more strip grazing in them. So a few of them are three to four acres also. Single strand electric fence around the entire farm. We have no high tinsel. Uh, we have uh, barbed wire in the woods kind of separating some of the neighbors but otherwise our main fence is just a single wire electric fence and then for dividing the pads we use what we call steppy posts or the curly tailed uh posts mm -hmm. and poly wire is that and for your 49 paddocks those divisions or to further divide those paddocks that is to divide the 49 paddocks okay. like um so the paddocks themselves are already divided with the with the wire okay. with the electric wire gotcha. and then all we do is uh cut the pads in half or thirds or quarters and mm -hmm. um years ago and this is where it comes from experience too on on art's behalf uh, when you asked about water earlier and uh, for the milk cows, we only have water in the barn and on the lot. Um, on the lot, we have three large stock tanks. So when the cows come home, there's enough water for them to tank down and get adequate water plus in the barn. We do not have waters out in the pastures anymore. We used to. Um, but uh, a couple things. Number one is when you have water out in the pat in the pasture, you can't really divide your pastures then, unless you have the water right in the center, which you could do, but it's hard. And then where do the cows like to congregate? Mm -hmm. So you're not spreading your manure evenly. You're not getting animal impact over the entire pad. So art quit the water and started dividing pads in half and so cows are on the top half um for like one milking and then um they every 12 hours our cows get a new break of pasture and we try to go opposite ways on the farm so mm -hmm. might go in the morning one way and in the evening an opposite way but by dividing the pads like that you get manure placement on the top and then they're locked down behind the divide wire mm -hmm. so that the manure and the animal impact has to go on the bottom half also yeah that's super slick not having to worry about back grazing to water and it's i guess something that is usually the 
thing of dairy is almost a disadvantage because you have to bring them back to the barn every day. But in that particular situation, you're bringing them back to the barn every day so you can water them there. That's kind of an advantage of it. (laughs) Exactly. And obviously we're in Minnesota and it can get hot in the summer. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and as you alluded to earlier, that our area is, uh, we do have woods um, and we don't actually graze the woods but we have paddocks where there's enough tree cover and stuff like that. So if we know it's going to be hot, we try to put the cows in those paddocks so they have shade. We also bring the cows home earlier on those days so that they can tank down on the water, drink water, make sure that they're hydrated, and then go stand in the uh, shed, which um, because we are up on the top of the hill at about 1200 feet, we usually have a breeze so they can go in the shed. There's a nice breeze coming in. Um, yes, when it's 90, hundred degrees, it's hot. I mean, there, there's no way around it. Um, but we try to do what we can to comfort the cows. Is that relatively common in grazing dairies or is that pretty unique? Um, I, th- I think the every person or every farm has their own way of dealing with this stuff you know um i do know grazers who only put their cows in the hot weather only put their cows out at night so they may have them in the barn um and have fans on them or may have a free stall with misters or something and they only graze um in the evenings when it's you know no sun and cooler. Um, I do know, uh, like my father-in-law, um, they have water, a kind of a central hub and have water available all day to their cows. Um, so is ours unique? And some people might say yes. Other people might go, well, I do that same thing. Um, as we have said, we've hosted many, many tours throughout the years and stuff. You have to figure out what works best on your farm. You know, you can come here, you can look. If you take something away from it, wonderful. If you can implement something that, oh, I never thought of it this way or I never, you know, great. But if you try to take what we're doing here and make a a, a cookie cutter on your own farm and make it exactly like it, it may not succeed because your farm is different or, um, you know, the lay of the land is different or your cattle are different or like we were talking earlier, maybe you do a TMR or something. So then you're going to have that extra step in there and stuff. So Mm -hmm. um, is it unique to us? No, because we've been doing it for, so long it's just uh the way we do it Mm -hmm. cool um yeah anything else on the production side i I know we could do you know hours and conversations just on you know the dairy production and we don't have that kind of time we're already coming up close on an hour here but is there anything else you want to highlight as far as the production model that you guys uh you run it at the farm um well, kind of addressing the the question, the second part of that question that you had asked just previously is, I really truly believe that yes, somebody could get into 
I hear a lot, oh, I'll never be able to get into the dairy industry or it costs too much money or stuff like that. I think the biggest hindrance right now is just finding a place that'll take the milk. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, if you don't have enough, unfortunately, with the trucking situation and stuff, co-ops are being very uh, selective and choose uh, are very selective about who they're picking up. However, with that being said, I really do feel that if somebody wants to farm and is starting from scratch or very limited resources, grazing is one of the best ways to do it because you can get into it uh, rather inexpensive. You don't have to own everything right away. You can rent a barn. You can rent a farm. You can get cattle. you don't need a full line of equipment like we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. A tractor and loader, maybe a skid loader. Um, we still do a lot of stuff manual around here, which I know, you know, we use a lot of pitchforks. We use a lot of shovels. Um, you know, you can do a lot of these things and do it cheaply and do it yourself and put a lot of sweat equity into it and build a very successful dairy and do it with grazing. And, uh, you know, uh, if you're next to a major highway, you may need a little bit more fencing than what we do out on a dead end road, obviously. But again, there are programs out there that can help, um, especially in Minnesota, you know, the department, Minnesota department of ag has grants that, you can apply for there. There's just a ton of things out there that if somebody really wants to get into farming, they can. And I think grazing is the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I guess I just heard recently of a farm that expanded pretty significantly and the costs to in a, in a more conventional commodity dairy and the cost to build that dairy infrastructure was like 15 to $20,000 per cow. It was wild. And that's per cow. And that, that includes your, your pit, your barn, your parlor, your probably your heifer facilities and the cows. I mean, it's, it's, it's everything. But that kind of upfront cost to get started with just a hundred cow dairy, you're talking a couple million dollars, you know, and, oh, and yeah. whereas, you know, in this model, like you're saying, minimal upstart, upfront starting costs and, and to a person getting started, everybody talks about how agriculture is so capital intensive and it is. But a, a low input grazing way like this, it totally makes sense. That's just like the best way to try and get started. Um, unless you're, I don't know, you you have some sort of wealth backing you up or or uh, or a solid business plan that a banker is willing to take a chance on you. But I think uh, I think you're you're spot on. Well, and the other thing too that obviously we're not dealing with. Uh, family, like I said, Art and Jean don't have any children that um, maybe think they're entitled to part of the farm or um, stuff like that. And I think that is also, um, and I've seen it several times in, in my life, uh, you have a family member that wants to farm, has stayed home and farmed, and has a few siblings and maybe one or two or, or more of the siblings or or some in some cases, none of them either. I've seen that also. 
but feel like, oh, well, you know, I should get my 80 or I should get my 40 or, you know, and so then that other sibling has to either rent from them or buy from them. And I think that makes it tough too. And I, I think that when you're thinking about a transition, if you're looking from a family standpoint, I think again, conversations, you know, sit down with the other siblings, sit down as a whole and talk it over. Don't just all of a sudden throw it out there one day. Oh, by the way, yeah, Jim's going to get the farm here and you guys are, you know, um, talk it out. Cause maybe the other siblings don't want anything or they're willing to, yeah, okay, I'll rent it to you. I'll do a 10 year contract at a reasonable price too. So I, I, I think that's, I think that's a big thing that is overlooked is uh, keeping family abreast of what's going on and not just all of a sudden out of nowhere going, Oh, well, sorry, you're <laughs> SOL. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're right. It, that's they talk yeah about farm transition is a complicated topic but one of the biggest challenges is just the lack of communication in agriculture in general it seems like people would rather you know not have to have that confrontation that conversation because more than likely somebody's going to be unhappy but is it better to deal with that up front or or let your kids and you know kind of the families be torn apart after you pass away when when you don't have any plans and so uh or at least people don't know the plans yet but um Oh, good tips. Good thoughts. And I think, and I, and I don't know why, but I, and I know it's probably because we're all stubborn as farmers. I mean, I don't care who you are. We're stubborn. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe that's why, or we all think we're going to live forever or (laughs) thinking we can do this, you know, forever or whatever. So I think that's the other thing is there's no talk about transition, you know, Mm -hmm. like even, uh, I mean, Melissa and I have already had discussions about, okay, when Art and Jean finally decide to bow out, um, you know, what are we going to do? What if we want, what if one of our kids wants to come back and farm? How are we going to handle this? Because the farm will may still have to support Art and Jean and ourselves. Are we going to be able to support another person or family? And so, I mean, you know, thinking ahead, in this industry is not a bad thing. Yeah. Made me want to ask, I was just kind of thinking that, 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 to ask you if you've thought, cause you've already got a couple of kids who have already chosen rather than to go get jobs in town as a, as a teenager to stay home and farm. And so the, the interest is there. Have you come to any conclusions or thought through long-term what that might look like someday or, or is that still a ways off in the future and totally fine if, if uh, the answer is you don't have a good, good one yet. <laughs> Cause most don't. <laughs> um, no, we've actually, I mean, that is something, like I said, we have talked about and addressed and anybody that farms or dairy farmers um, you'll know that some of your best conversations are going to happen in the barn and mm-hmm. We have had that conversation, Melissa and I have, you know, what if one of our children want to come back? What are we going to do? And, you know, I I don't want to make cheese. I don't want to do yogurt. Um, that's me. I want to be a dairy person. But if that's what it takes to get 
uh, a child of ours back in, well, then they may have to pursue those avenues. They may have to make cheese or yogurt or a different entity on the farm, um, not necessarily maybe agricultural dairy, but, you know, uh, renovating the barn and making it into, you know, come and explore and spend a week, milk a cow, you know, um, different things like that. Egg, egg tourism is what they, they call it, you know? Um, so yes, we have talked and, and thought about it and how we would go about it. And we've also talked about, um, you know, years from now, what we're going to do if none of our children want to be part of it, you know, that hopefully there'll be another generation out there that will want to farm and that we can find another person or young couple that like the way we manage and run the farm and, and want to come into it, even if it isn't family, because of our transition and not being family, I think that opened a big avenue to us and opening our eyes to there are other people out there, non-family that want to do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's great. Even as you know, somebody who has gone through that yourselves, but I, I love that art and uh, Jean, I think you mentioned her name was, you know, are considering that. And I hope more farmers will consider that even if it always has been a family transition, we need more people willing to find in, and help somebody get started who's maybe not family. I, I think that would be a pretty awesome thing if if the main focus wasn't on what the dollar value and what they could get out of. But it's not, I also understand it's a lot to ask. So, yeah. It, it is. And, and again, you have to find the right person. Yeah. There are yeah. people out there that my farm is worth $3 million and that's mm -hmm. what you're going to pay me. Yeah. You know, and then there are realists out mm -hmm. there that know that no young couple or no young person coming in with nothing or, or very limited resources is going to be able to go to a bank and get a $3 million loan. Mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah. okay, do it on a deed or do sweat mm -hmm. equity or mm -hmm. there, there are, that's the nice thing about it is there are so many ways to do this. I mean, mm -hmm. ours is unique. Everybody tells us, I guess we've been living it so long. We don't see it as unique anymore. We just see it as this is how it worked out for us. Um, but I guess when you look back or, or you do stuff like this, it is very unique that non-family and how we worked into it and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's unique, but awesome. And I wish it was less unique and hopefully in time it will be, but this is a, uh been a really good conversation i, I appreciate it I'll, I'll give you here a moment just to share if there's any last thoughts you have and also if, if anybody wants to reach out or find more information about you or where you would direct them sure um well first of all thank you very much for thinking of us and in, in our situation and i i do encourage if anybody hears this and and says oh i didn't think about this or, or, you know, I've always wanted to farm, but I mm -hmm. didn't think I could do it. You know, don't let anybody tell you, you can't. Um, I heard that because I was a non-farm kid for a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, heard, oh, you'll never make it, or I can't do this. And well, 22 years later, I'm in the, in the industry still and, and enjoying it. So, 
um, I definitely would say, don't let anybody tell you, you can't do it. Um, and, uh, you can go to, uh, enchanted meadows on Google and it'll come up in enchanted meadows farms. And, uh, we do have a Google page on there. Otherwise, if someone does want to get a hold of us to ask questions or anything, um, I have no problem. I've given out my phone number before 507-450-7605. I just ask that uh, you don't call early in the morning because I like my beauty sleep. No, <laughs> <laughs> as a dairy farmer, yeah, yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> early in the morning for you is 1 a.m., I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, about, but yeah, anytime before two, please don't okay. call. <laughs> That's great, good. Well, thank you so much, Chad. This is this has been fun. I, I really appreciate you, your willingness to share, you know, your story and, and also your experience and knowledge. And so I know a lot of people are going to get a lot of, out of it, but uh, just thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. and. Thanks for considering this, and it was uh, it was pretty pain painless. Good. <laughs> Dirt Rich is produced by the Sustainable Farming Association. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider supporting us by making a donation or becoming a member at sfa-mn.org. Thanks for listening.